The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I'd like to offer you some things to contemplate, to reflect on. And they have to do with the idea of consequences. So for example, as you're sitting here during this sitting, were there any of the experiences you had, the thoughts you had, the sensations of your body, the emotions you might have, the mind states you have, could any of them be seen as a consequence of how you have behaved before. So maybe you've been staying up late and didn't get enough sleep, and so the consequence that you're experiencing now is sleepiness. Or maybe you had a difficult conversation earlier today with someone, and the consequence is that those words are still going through your head. Or it could be that something nice happened to you earlier today and you arrive contented. You sit down and feels contented to be here. Or it could be that you've been to IMC many times before and when you come here, there's a consequence to you for your previous to be here because you've been, you're familiar with the place. You're familiar. So are there ways in which your experience of being here today could be seen as a consequence of something that happened to you in the past. And if so, What difference does it make to you to see your experiences that you have now as being a consequence of what happened before? How does that understanding affect you and how you are with what is now? And then in the 20 or so minutes that we've been meditating here, is there any ways that you can see consequences during the meditation of how you were as you meditated? Did your involvement with sitting down to meditate, close your eyes, maybe focus on your breath, was a consequence that you became more settled or calmer. Was a consequence that you got more agitated. Did the recognition of how you are in meditation and mindfulness, 
did that shift things for you? In what way is how you are right now a consequence of what happened during your meditation? And then finally, why don't you give some thought to consider in what ways do you think that having meditated this morning will have, have, will have con- consequences for you in the next 20 minutes, the next rest of the morning, for the day, for your life? Are there any ways, maybe it's subtle, Maybe it's accumulative together with other meditations, but any you have any sense of the consequences that might or might come or that you might want from having meditated? When you meditate, do you meditate with some consideration of what the consequences of the meditation might be? That it will make you a better person, more calm, more insightful, more caring? Do you have any, any vision of the consequences of meditation that informs your practice of meditation. And then to end this sitting, you could take a couple of deep breaths, deep breaths, and when you feel ready, you can open your eyes. You can open that door there and look out and see what happened.
So welcome to our Dharma practice day. And um, <clears throat> this is the meant to sta- be able to stand alone for a day, for those of you who might be new. But uh, also it's a continuation of the series for this year on uh, ethics, a mindfulness, a mindful approach to living an ethical life. And um, with the idea that um, there are many motivations for many ways of coming to an ethical life, but that uh, the practice of mindfulness, of careful attention to what's happening for oneself and around one, is one of the important um, means of coming to an ethical life, or what looks like an ethical life, that's very different than you know following rules, you know following precepts. This is what you should do, and but rather the, the motivation and understanding of what is ethical arises from within, rather than from outside, commanded from the outside. So we're exploring that, and I think it's a relatively new, not new, but a relatively different uh, understanding of ethics, morality, than is often conveyed. I think in kind of a general society. Where I think not often enough people think of ethics as something that you have to take on from the outside. You have to conform to the ethical norms that <clears throat> your society, your religion, your family has decreed for you. But the idea that uh, ethics, uh, ethical behavior would just be, come not, not from a should, but from uh, a deeper inspiration, understanding from within, I think is the possibility of uh, mindfulness practice. So this is what we're kind of exploring for this year. And uh, we're, what we're using for the exploration is what's called the Ten Skillful Actions. And um, uh, more, uh, more important than the so-called five precepts for ethics, it seems to me that the, over and over again the Buddha refers much more to what's called the Ten Skillful Actions. And they overlap with the five precepts but um, they miss, they're missing one. They're missing the one about the alcohol. And, uh, and they include more, more emphasis on speech, uh, wise speech. And then, um, as we see today, it will include uh, two um, uh, mental attitudes that we have. Usually we think of ethics more having to do with behavior, what we do and what we say. But here in this list, it also includes the, the attitudes of our mind. So that's what we'll explore today. The, um, <clears throat> um, so these Dharma, those of you who might be new, the Dharma practice days are meant to be ways of exploring the Dharma or the practice together in community. Uh, and uh, so I don't give a lot of teachings. Uh, we do some meditation, a little bit of meditation, some teaching, but also we do a variety of ways in which we discuss something. I bring up topics, questions, and we have exercises. And so you might pair up with someone or with a small group of people getting together and uh, engage in some kind of deeper reflection uh, around the topic that uh, is meant to be personal so that your relationship to whatever the topic is we're exploring, uh, uh, you have a chance to engage in it personally. And uh, some people uh, find this really uh, speeds up their own engagement with the topic of the Dharma if they have a chance to hear themselves speak it and speak about it in a more focused way than they usually do in their lives and hear other people and how it is for them personally. And also as a, as a side benefit of this whole approach of Dharma practice days is that of practicing in community and beginning, beginning to have a stronger sense of community than you would have 
if you just came here, meditated with your eyes closed and listened to one of these monologues that I have and, and then go home. And uh, so this is a chance for that community building. And for that purpose, we have lunch uh, together. Um, if you want us to eat together, but we can talk during lunch and kind of talk during the breaks. It's not a silent day. Uh, Don is the manager for today. Thank you, Don. See, she lost her identity at the last retreat. You see her. <laughs> oh, oh, you found it. <laughs> it's okay to lose at the retreat, but when you leave, you should put it back on. <clears throat> and um, so, um, the um, so if you have any questions for Dawn, you can you know by being here, you should ask her or ask me. And, um, okay, so I brought up in this meditation the topic of consequences. And uh, before I tell you why uh, we're doing this, uh, this topic, uh, consequences as introduction for the day, I thought it'd be nice to hear from some of you. Uh, what kind of reflections did you have that came up? So starting off with the first one, um, um, what, what, what experiences of being here and meditating could you identify as having being the result, being being a consequence of things that you'd done or happened to you prior to coming here, whether today or yesterday or some point? Anything that happened here? Anything you, you want to share? Yes, and I don't think that's nice to do for these Dharma practice days. If you would say your name when you speak, so we can start having a sense of each other. Um, I actually participated in a phone conference. Name? Sally, I'm Sally. I participated in a phone conference immediately before coming into the um, community room here. And so my mind was going over, it was on political issues, and my mind was churning a little bit with the things that I had learned and the things that had been said. Of course, with the process of the meditation that dissipated, but that busy mind mm-hmm. was a consequence. Great. So it was very clear, a busy mind was a consequence of what happened just before. And the answer to the second question was, sitting and meditating, what consequence did that have on your experience? And so that quieted down. Thank you. Hi, my, <clears throat> my name is Steve. I identified with uh, something you said uh, in the guidance uh, in meditation uh, about coming here and being familiar uh, when I walked in here this morning, I had uh, uh, kind and friendly interactions with uh, maybe half a dozen people before I came in here and sat down and closed my eyes. And that frequently moves me when I come in here and I feel safe and comfortable, surrounded by friends, and uh, that always has some effect on my meditation. It's really quite nice. It's, it's wonderful consequence of getting to know people around yeah. here. Great. The more people I know, the better I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So the familiarity, creating community, having a fr- uh, friendship around here affects you when you come down to meditate. You care. That's a constant. There's a result of that when you sit. You're more settled, feel safe, you're delighted. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
I'm Judy. Um, two things came to me. My body was comfortable sitting, and I think that's a consequence of being on the one-month retreat. It's kind of used to it. But my mind was really busy, and this morning I sat with a small group at 6.30, and then after breakfast I was trying to do some reading to make up from being away on retreat. And I realized that I believe um, I can't do this, and I can't keep up. And it's, it wasn't just a thought. It's a real belief I have. And then when I saw it, I thought, that's really self-limiting, and it isn't really easy to let go of it. So, so, you, so, so you, <clears throat> as you're sitting here, you could see the strength of that belief and how it was holding on. And if you hadn't sat, sat here, you wouldn't have kind of seen it in that kind of clear way. So you had some insight, some understanding. Great. Thank you. So one more this, this way. Thank you. Please. I'm not entirely sure I understood the question, uh-huh. but um, when I was uh, leaving my house and coming the way over here, I had misplaced something, and I was beating myself up. What a terrible person I was. I'm losing my mind. And then when you start talking about consequences, I realized that my shoulders were up around my ears, and each time you talked about consequences, they came down. <laughs> they kept, they start coming down, which was such a relief. Mm. So there's a consequences in our physical body as well yes. <clears throat> that we can feel here. And if we come here, you know, these consequences live in our bodies. When we come meditate, we can experience those consequences more than we would if we were distracted. <clears throat> Great. And, and also, the second, answer, second, second reflection was what are the consequences of being, doing the meditation, and for you, partly, it was this relaxing the tension. Any other consequences that you saw <clears throat> for doing the meditation itself, what, how you were, what you did during the meditation? Any consequences? You know, if some of you started, s- sat here and started to try to figure out lottery numbers. <clears throat> And by the end of the 20 minutes, you had a headache because you couldn't remember the, you know, or you were very happy, you figured out the right number, and it was great. You know, what, 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 you know, what consequences did you experience uh, from having done this that you could see in the moment, you know, in the moment or in the, in the short period of time in the present? Here, Anneloy. I'm Ellen. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I worked out a plot point. <laughs> so you, that's what you did, and what's that? Do you have any sense of the consequence of having done that? Uh, one of the consequences are is if I don't write it down somewhere, I'm going to not be able. Um, my attention for the rest of the day will be split between trying to remember it and paying attention to what's going on here. I see. So, so, so one of the consequences of having that new plot point is that um, there were some anxieties about uh, remembering it, writing it down, and how am I going to do that, and how do I slip away, and mm-hmm. appropriately, so there was mm-hmm. st- strategy and planning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's great. So you saw a consequence. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yes. Uh, I'm Fiona. Um, I could see, because I had a lot of issues before, last night and before, um, with family members, and uh, so those were arising, and then then I returned to the breath, and it would be peaceful, and I could really see what leads me away from happiness, and what brings me to happiness. 
was, it was very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, this, in the meditation, mm-hmm. in, and also in the moment, so you could almost choose. You just see the, okay. the real difference, uh-huh. both in the mind and the body, the difference of quality. Uh-huh. So the consequences of thinking or what you do in your mind has it's very clear. Two, two different paths open up for you. Yes. Great, lovely. So then the last one was, uh, what, do you, uh, uh, what are your thoughts about the consequences of, of meditating? So it could be, what do you think the consequences are of this particular meditation? Or what are the consequences that you're hoping for in being a meditator when you sit down? Um, do, you, do you ever think about the consequences? Or you, know, you couldn't care less if there's any consequences. You just, you know, you just, you just think meditating's good and you're not supposed to have any desires. So, you know, you don't think that way. But what, what, what's your relationship to the whole world of, the, of the consequences to meditation? I'm Linda. Um, That was actually my intent, is my intent of coming here today. So that one rang true for me. Um, My consequences of my meditation today and meditation I've been doing recently and in the near future is to prepare me for some medical procedures. Mm. And and I'm um, already gaining so much benefit. And so your idea of being, of being prepared for the medical procedure is that you'd be calmer or... Yes. Something. And awake uh-huh. and be present to be able to take in information from physicians, ask questions. Great. Lovely. Thank you. So, Jack? I'm Jack, and um, I really felt really clear this morning, and generally lately I've been feeling um, I'm in a neutral position and bored, you know. And um, and I I do have an awareness that I don't want to become. I'm not looking to become active, but I want to be comfortable with being quiet. And then. Um, I also want to be comfortable with um, the, the world outside of me that's different than what my basic values are, I, I feel. And um, I've been having a lot of trouble with that. But this morning I really felt a clarity with all of that and um, a letting go of my opinions and attitudes about that. And um, I realized that... Um, In working with the precepts and with values, I, you know, judgments come up. So I've got to let go of all my precepts, kind of, you know, for the outside world and not for me. And it seems like I'm beginning, I don't know if that's clear, but uh, it seems like I'm beginning to get that imbalance. Great. Great. So, re- so part of the, you anticipate that part of the consequence of coming here, if this this clarity you have about being more comfortable with how things are for you will continue through the day as you go home. and That's the hope. So, great. Well, thank you. So, um, we'll continue here for about 10 minutes and then we'll take a break in case, in case your bladders need to know. Um, the, um, um, 
So there's a story from the ancient suttas of uh, a time when um, <clears throat> the Buddha uh, was uh, with his son. He was connected to his son from the time his son was about seven on. And so his son was somewhat a young boy. And uh, it seems the story involves that he w- the son was caught in telling a lie. Not too un- un- unusual for a young child, maybe. And... Um, and so the Buddha then sits down with his son to have a father-son talk with him about what the son had done, this lie. And uh, he a little bit, uh, I think in a gentle way, kind of reprimands him for having lied. And then he give, gives him a little teaching that has to do with consequences. He said, um, uh, when you um, are about to do something, you should uh, consider first what the consequences of that action might be. And if that consequence is going to cause harm, don't do it. And if it's going to uh, cause benefit or not harm, then you go ahead and do it. And then he went on and said, if um, while you're doing something, you should also reflect on the consequences of what you're doing. And if it is causing harm or going to cause harm, then stop doing what you're doing. And if it's beneficial, then continue doing it. And then he said, added, and after you've done something, uh, consider what the consequences have been from your actions. And if it caused harm, uh, it's too late to stop doing it then, because it's already happened, right? But uh, so if if you have caused harm, then um, go find someone who you respect and tell them what you did. Isn't that nice? And if it, if it is, and, it, and if the consequences has been that it's beneficial, I forget exactly what he says, but I think he says then you just kind of be at ease <laughs> with how things are. So this idea of reflecting on consequences is the you know the Buddha's teachings to a young child. But it, uh, some people say that this teaching is somewhat simplistic or simple, uh, you know, childlike level. But it, uh, uh, in its heart, it expresses the, all of the dharmas built out of that simple idea. That the dharma of the Buddha has all to do about avoiding causing harm and instead uh, doing what is beneficial. And then having some se- real sense of what is harmful. Not just to the world around us, but also to ourselves. And then have a sense of what is uh, really beneficial and what is uh, uh, you know, really harmful to ourselves. So it is really beneficial to ourselves. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, I, I, maybe I could figure, I could have done the meditation and figured out just the right lottery numbers and gone, gotten, you know, a big mega prize. And that would have been great, wouldn't it? Um, but I don't know. They say that uh, the studies, that they've studied people that won big lottery numbers, uh, um, uh, awards, that a year after winning the award, they're less happy than they were before they won the award. So is it really for my benefit to win all this money? Um, <clears throat> is that really where my happiness is going to come from, is to come and you know, make all this money? Or do I become um, a Jack's disciple and learn how to be comfortable with being you know, quiet and content with how things are? And, you know, I think I'd feel probably richer if I followed in your footsteps than if I won the lottery. So, um, <clears throat> so you know, so the... So the as the, the teachings get more elaborated, they get a little more sophisticated, perhaps, around this very simple point uh, that we're looking, we're concerned with consequences 
And we want to do the things that have the best consequences for our well-being and for the well-being around us. And this idea of consequences is uh, directly tied to the concept of karma. And uh, it's a little bit complicated topic because of all the different theories and ideas that people have about karma. You know, in the, in the modern West, we get different streams of what we understand karma to be. There's Hinduism offers it, New Age offers ideas of karma, and different Buddhist ideas of karma. So it gets kind of confusing what it might mean. But it seems that in the earliest uh, discourses, uh, karma was limited to meaning actions, just the actions we do of mind, body, and, and, uh, and uh, speech. <clears throat> and, um, and the concern around karma has to do that, uh, about the, uh, or actions have to do with the consequences of those, uh, those actions. And so there's some care given to, uh, to paying attention to the actions we do and the consequences they have. And the simplest way, I believe, of kind of positing the Buddha's teachings on karma is that teach, it really the essence of it is that um, our actions have consequences. And if we want to add something to that, actions have consequences and uh, we can be responsible for the actions we do and thereby affect the consequences uh, that affect our lives. So we can make a difference, you know. You, if you're agitated, you can come to IMC and meditate and get calm. And uh, so you can have something to do. You can decide to come here. Or if you're agitated, you can uh, hold that lightly and then not get wrapped up and tied up in it. Just hold your kind of anxiety in a broad mind. And, uh, and that, uh, that has consequences to hold it more broadly. It means you don't get wound up even more or something. So... Um, Consequences have, actions have consequences, and we have a role to play in choosing what actions have what consequences. And so the, the, the 10 skillful actions that we're using for this year-long series is, uh, has the word karma in it. It's, um, uh, uh, action here means, is the word for action here is karma. <coughs> and skillful is kusala. So the 10 skillful actions. Uh, so there are certain actions which are skillful or helpful or useful or efficacious for certain purposes and some actions which are unskillful, unhelpful, uh, un- uh, you know, counterproductive for the purposes, some purposes. So if what you want to do is to be peaceful um, it doesn't really help your peace if you go rob the local bank. So, you know, st- stealing from the bank is not a good idea if, if what you want is to be peaceful. Um, and so, but if you want to be peaceful, it's probably good not to, uh, you know, steal from people. Stealing tends to create agitation. Uh, if you want to be peaceful um, or feel good about yourself, it's probably better to be careful with your speech and not uh, chronically lie to you, or at all lie to your best friend. You know, it just probably doesn't kind of create good feelings. And so there are certain consequences which we want to be careful with, certain actions we want to be careful because the consequences are not skillful, not useful, not helpful for our lives. And so these 10 skillful actions uh, involve avoiding, partly avoiding 10 unskillful actions, uh, those things, and, and the definition of what is skillful uh, in Buddhism is that which brings you the, the highest benefit, the highest uh, um, 
yeah, uh, well-being. But not just for you, but for everyone involved, society as well, others as well. And so the Buddha offers then ten of these skillful actions. Or, or it tells you to, or suggests that you avoid the ten unskillful actions. So uh, we avoid uh, harming, intentionally harming other living beings or killing. We avoid uh, taking what is not giving, stealing. We avoid lying, using uh, untrue, uh, saying, things, saying, saying things that are untrue. We avoid saying things which are malicious. We avoid saying things which are um, um, harsh. You know, so kind of, we avoid saying things which are, what's the last one? Is uh, Usually sometimes they say gossip. Divisive, divisive speech or gossip. And then, uh, so those are the first seven things that we want to avoid because they cause harm and they have consequences or deleterious. Um, and then uh, for today, we're going to do the next two, which is avoiding um, covetousness and ill will. And then the next time we meet, uh, which is we meet one more time, which is we'll, uh, next month, which will be um, uh, uh, having right view, avoiding wrong view and having right view. And... Um, so as a footnote, so this, this, the, uh, the flyer for this series says we're meeting in June, but we're not, because I double scheduled. I'm teaching a retreat at the same time, so I can't be in two places at once. So next class will be the last one, and uh, that's why we're doing two today. Um, because really, you know, uh, greed deserves a whole day. Um, <laughs> So um, the ten skillful actions, and uh, and so what, what's interesting in this list is now we're coming into mental attitudes, what goes on in the mind, whereas the five precepts have to do with behavior, what you do with your body, you know, you, kind of your speech too, I guess, but you know, avert behavior, but this one has to do with what goes on in the privacy of your own mind. So you don't have to act on greed or act on ill will, but you can be churning away with greed and ill will in your mind. And here the teachings are, uh, so, so is that um, that kind of mental behavior has consequences for us. And if we're concerned about looking at our behavior from the point of view of consequences, uh, it also is helpful to look at our behavior, uh, our mental behavior. And those two forms of mental behavior are really central to uh, creating, uh, avoiding harm and causing benefit for ourselves, bringing benefit. Is it ethical? Uh, is this an ethical list then? Is, is uh, having me- thoughts about ill will or thoughts of greed and not acting on it, is that unethical? Um, it depends what you mean by ethical. It depends what you mean, you know, how you look at this. Uh, maybe we don't have to look at, the, maybe we don't have to use the word ethics to look at this. Maybe ethics then means like, you know, too easily gets into being puritanical or you should be or you're a bad person if you have these things and you shouldn't have these things at all. And I think the advantage of these, te- this, this phraseology of these ten skillful actions is that it avoids uh, the usual moralistic um, language that we might get caught up in and confused by. Um, but rather it uses language of karma, which now I'm trying to tell you is closely connected to the analysis of consequences. 
So if you're concerned with the consequences of your actions, then it's interesting to look at what goes on in your mind because you don't get a free ride to think whatever you want. That, uh, that what you think about has consequences. It reinforces habit. It, uh, it affects how we see the world. It affects our connection to ourselves. And, uh, and, they can, and you know, argument can be made that is the kind of thoughts and attitudes that we carry with us uh, really ha- well, it has the most long-term, or can have some of the longest-term consequences um, for ourselves and people around us. And so being mindful of our inner state is, is very important. And, being mi- and since uh, unethical behavior is very connected to the attitudes in our mind, as we care for these attitudes, it probably shifts uh, our, t- our relationship to being ethical. Chances are very high that if you no longer are filled with greed or hate or ill will, chances are that most unethical behavior will stop. Because probably most unethical behavior can be seen as connected to these two. So that's the introduction for today. Any questions before we take a break? Yes, there's a mic nearby. Yeah, here. My name is Noel, and um, when I've come home with, you know, uh, Gil said this that about, my, you know, thinking and, and how thinking is, you know, you can watch your thoughts, and uh, I'm all excited, and my husband says so much of this is deeply self, you know, from the subconscious, and there's so little that you can do to affect that deep well of impulse and desire. And you may as well just accept, you know, the, you know, just that's who you are. There's, you know, your little consciousness and what you see in your thoughts is like this. And you have an ocean of, you know, attitude and <laughs> destruction. Mm-hmm. And so, wow. yeah, and, yeah, and, 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 and you're just like this little sailboat. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so I just want to know what to say. Like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I see that thinking really, you know, this is, you don't get a free ride. You know, you have to think about what you think. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, him to, mm-hmm. yeah, Great. good luck oh. with that. Wow. I guess, I guess it's, you're pretty lucky he likes you. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, yeah, I mean, how, you know, is, it a, a, or is what we're conscious of the tip of the iceberg and there's a huge unconscious that operates as well? I mean, there's certainly a lot of stuff that goes on behind, behind scene. Um, one of the fun ways of kind of seeing this for people who practice meditation and get really, really quiet sometimes is that um, you can sometimes feel or watch in the mind's eye uh, the arising of a thought uh, more like a sensation. There's a sensation that arises that tells you a thought is about to, be, to occur. But because your mindfulness is very sharp, and concentration is right there, you see that sensation as it arises and the sensation dissipates. And you'll never know what that thought was going to be. The thought began uh, uh, off stage. So in that sense, your husband's right. There's all this kind of, who knows what's going on back there. But, um, but, uh, 
um, the, um, our capacity to suffer is mostly contingent upon that little bit of the iceberg above the water. So what we can know and be conscious of has big consequences for ourselves. And we can have some role, and, and that little bit of the iceberg above the water um, uh, is very important to the part of the iceberg above the water. <laughs> and since that's all you know, let's take care of that well. And so uh, it's pretty normal in our society to, uh, for most people to uh, not automatically say whatever they think and, and we're, because we're aware enough and so we don't cause a lot of harm because we don't say things we shouldn't say. Or we, or we, take, we think about the situation, what would be the best, most useful thing to say here? Maybe I should say thank you. This person just did, a, did me a favor. And so then you say thank you. So the conscious mind negotiates the world many times and can make a difference. And we know that because we make choices of what we do. And those choices can become increasingly skillful. And, uh, and, and the more skillful they become, the more beneficial they are. So, for example, Steve, um, I mean, you know, he, you know he, he's an old guy, and he has every right to be grouchy, and, you know, and so, you know, so he could come in here, you know, just, you know, I, you know, he's been through a lot in life, and he just come in here to meditate, but he comes in here, and he just shows up grouchy one day, you know, and, and just blows everyone off. Um, what he did report, excuse me, Steve, for saying this, using his example, but, but yeah, so all the what wonderful thing he said earlier about how uh, he comes in here and he has this friendly, friendly contact with people as he gets here and how it affects him, makes him feel safe. Um, you know, he's not going to feel those benefits if he comes here grouchy and kind of blows everybody away. So, you know, he, he probably is better off kind of showing up and he's like, I'm grouchy today. And I think that, you know, this is my spiritual home. I think that I better kind of be a little bit careful with my grouchiness and kind of keep it a little bit close in and quiet so that when I get come here, I can kind of start feeling the warmth of people here. And so that part of me maybe begins to relax. So what I'm trying to say is that um, we can have a lot of choice about the part of the iceberg that we see. And what B- uh, Buddhism teaches is that as we begin affecting the iceberg we, that we see, um, the warmth uh, travels down. If, the, if we make the iceberg colder, it gets heavier and sinks even more and there's more unconscious. But if we uh, bring warmth to it and it begins to melt, the, uh, the rest of it begins to come to the surface. And it begins to change and shift what's deep down. And eventually, um, and this is what maybe what full enlightenment is, um, all the ice is melted. Isn't that nice? So you think you can tell your husband this? <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, you know, I have a lot of compassion for your cynicism. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> yes? Yes? What I imagine I think so. Okay. What I imagined as you were talking is that you're married to a Freudian analyst. 
stop in the existence of the unconscious, which, uh, as far as I know, there is no proof for it. Um, but what there is real, um, you know, as scientific as we ever get in this field, is the uh, proof for the effect of our thoughts on our feelings, not the other way around. That thoughts precede feelings, and that uh, you can, for many people, change how they think about And, um, but again, I think one of the teachings of Buddhism is, is a, there's a reciprocal relationship to all these things. They all, it all works together as a ecology, as a process. And so as uh, we, think, we change our thoughts, it certainly changes our feelings. But also as our feelings change, it then in return affects our, our, our thoughts. So it's a mutual thing. And so the same thing with so-called unconscious, subconscious, that uh, what we do consciously does, does ripple down, does kind of reach down and reassure and you know, I think many of you have had that experience that uh, probably something where uh, you enter into a certain behavior or a certain place or something and something inside of you relaxed. And as something relaxed, certain inner tendencies uh, stopped because you felt safe or comforted or something. And, uh, but you didn't even know that something needed to be relaxed. Like, you know, you said you didn't even know you were tense, right? Yeah, so until, until you came here, that was unconscious. But that became conscious. So how much stays unconscious? How much is you know? How much is always going to be unconscious? How much what's in the unconscious become conscious? How much it, uh, it, it, it we can be we can condition the unconscious by our behavior and what goes on are important topics. Which unconscious awareness? Unconscious from awareness. So there's never any hope for being aware of what's unconscious. So then people say subconscious. Subconscious can come into consciousness. I mean, I think that people. Uh-huh. And it, really quiet. Yeah, that's fascinating to watch. To go really, really quiet and see that the, the subtle thoughts and see the consequences they have. It's so consequences, karma, and uh, and uh, and then beginning now today, looking at attitudes of the mind. Because attitudes of the mind have a big impact on the consequences, or, you know, the actions of the mind. The actions, the fact, just because it's in the mind, it doesn't mean that it's not an action. It doesn't mean it's not consequential. So that's what we'll look at today. Okay? So um, let's take uh, 15 minutes for a break. We'll start here f- 5 minutes to 11, so that I could offer you something to reflect on in, in the meditation. And part of the art of this kind of meditative reflection is to hear the question or the topic and see if there's something, some deeper place inside that can respond to it that's a little different than maybe your thinking, your ordinary thinking mind. It's fine to use your ordinary thinking mind, but maybe there's uh, some, some other connection or fuller connection to yourself that can inform or surprise you with responses to the question.
So as we continue sitting here, see if you can bring to mind a time in your life, um, ideally some time you can remember well, where you had an inordinate amount of desire, really strong desire for something. Maybe we don't want to call it greed, but some compelling, compulsive, strong desire that really took over, really had a, was a force within you. You really wanted something really badly. And if you can remember such a time, can you also remember what the effect of having that desire had on you? What effect did it have on your, on your mind, and your thoughts, and how your mind felt? What effect did it have on your heart, on your emotions and feelings? Did it have an effect on your body, on your eyes, your jaws, your hands, your chest? And having this very strong desire, were there any ways in which that desire colored how you saw things, how you saw the situation you're in, or how you saw yourself, what you believed to be true? Then whether you got what you wanted or not, how did your mind and heart, body feel when the desire was no longer there? How did you see the world or see yourself when you no longer have had the filter of the strong desire 
present. So the eighth of these ten skillful actions, or the the eighth of the unskillful ones, is uh, a particular kind of desire. And uh, the usual way it's translated into English is covetousness, to covet something, the quality of, of... I think it's just not just desire, but it's a strong desire which wants to possess something. So I don't know if, uh, I think that's what the English word in, uh, means, to covet, um, to want something and to possess it, to have it for yourself. <laughs> and uh, certainly it can be strong desires which maybe are healthy to have, but uh, the strong desire to covet something and to keep it for yourself and not let other people, not share it with others and hold it tight. Um, is uh, seems to be what this word means, um, and so it's a different kind. Of, so it's a particular kind of desire which is unskillful. Another skillful unde- uh, desire, which um, uh, unskillful desire, which the tradition Buddhist tradition puts a great uh, emphasis on, is greed. Emphasis that it's not useful to have it. Um, or um, there's also uh, the word that's often translated as greed is very closely, I think, connected to the word possessiveness, to have, to, keep, to, to obtain, to have. So you have, it's mine, I'm going to keep it. I want it for me. Um, what other words do we have for uh, uh, unskillful desires? We have greed, we have lust sometimes. What other words do we have in English? Possessiveness? Obsessive. Obsessive. Longing. Hmm? Gluttony. Gluttony. (laughs) Yearning. Yearning can be. Craving. Craving. Envy. Envy. 
Envy means that you're wanting what the other person has. Jealousy. So jealousy is connected to that. Is that all? Just a short list like that? (laughs) Not much to take care of. Compulsive, compulsives connected to it. Kind of. Addiction. Addiction. <laughs> Drivenness. Maybe it's a little bit connected to it. It's not necessarily possessiveness. Obsessive, obsessive kind of drive to be driven. Need. Hmm? Need. Need. Mm. Need. That's a difficult one. Some people who di- differentiate greed from desire, or uh, greed is when their desire goes beyond what you actually need. So when your needs are taken care of, and there's still this drive to want and have, uh, that then it's then it's become greed. But if it's a, a basic human need, then you have a strong needy. That's. Mm. What? Control. Control, controlling. So certainly, if there's desire connected to controlling, then it's going to be... Yearning. Yearning, someone said. Capturing. Hmm? Capturing. Wanting to capture, capture. Uh uh-huh. Aggressive desire. So any good. So a strong desire. You know, to be caught in the grip of strong desire, compulsive desire. Um, uh, imagine that all of you, at some point or other, have been caught in something that you really, really wanted, and um, maybe you thought it was a need. But if you step back, it's not really a need. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, it affects us in big ways. It affects how we see things, how we see ourselves. It affects our mood. It affects our, our um, way we think. Um, physically, it can affect us how we are. The um, strong, having really strong compulsive desire has an impact. So I think what we might, might, might be nice to do is to have you guys have a chance to talk in small groups about uh, what your experience has been of the effect that we're having really strong desires had on you, on you physically, emotionally, kind of personally, on your life. You don't have to, you don't have to at, at all tell your little group what it is you wanted. You can just leave it completely, you know, you know mysterious. So they don't have, they don't have to know. But uh, what we're interested in is that the, uh, the effect. What, are, what, have, what has been your experience of the consequences on you and while you're having those strong desires and and uh, and uh, <clears throat> is that clear enough? Mm-hmm. And what I thought was maybe groups of four, that's small enough that we feel a little bit kind of connected to each other, but big enough to get a variety of different uh, ideas and hear what you do. Just go around the circle, and I, I think it's important not to have one person speak a lot because you so one person might be an expert on this topic, <laughs> and 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 um, and might have a lot to say. But uh, you don't have to say everything that comes to mind. It's actually very useful in this kind of format 
to say, just uh, offer something that feels complete in itself um, so other people have a chance and you have a chance to hear other people. And when it comes all the way around to you again, you've then been affected, influenced by what you heard, maybe stimulated new ideas, something interesting has arisen for you and, and then you can offer something else. But, uh, but don't, you know, just don't give, go through the whole list of everything you can think, possibly think about. Make sense? Um, so uh, why don't you form groups of four and we'll take probably 10, 15 minutes for this uh, if you can. So, good old greed. <laughs> so, yes, you want, you, want to, you want to volunteer your group? Great, I could use as much wisdom as you have. <laughs> sense of responsibility speak for the group um, we all agreed that you have to be aware of this experience of greed desire so the first step is to develop mindfulness so that awareness is present also recognizing that um, Desires alone are not necessarily greedy. And so then the next step is discern wholesome from unwholesome. And then our group also talked about bringing, um, being non-judgmental, that allowing, it's okay to have desires. It's natural. And um, also bringing some silence to it to maybe understand it. Great. Thank you. Very nice. But I need more. (laughs) Is that greed or covetousness? (laughs) I'll take it any way it comes. (laughs) Okay, so um, our group's wisdom has some similarities to what you just brought up. To recognize strong desire and be present with it in its unpleasantness in the body and mind. Then to make space for it and have compassion for ourselves around that process. The next is to observe that it's a mind state versus being caught in it as a belief or as an assumption. And then to allow ourselves to see the causes and conditions in this moment that are bringing the desire to be. Remind ourselves that it's temporary. It arises and passes away just like everything else does. And lastly, and very importantly, that we have a choice in how we respond to the experience. Great. Thank you. Our group kind of said about the same things that we've heard from the other two. 
uh, um, to recognize and name it, you know, um, of, of what is before us that, that we're caught in this. Um, if you if you hold it uh, horizontally, because like it, uh, it, yeah, because is this, it, is, yeah, yeah. is this good? Oh, yeah. oh now yeah. I can hear it. Okay, uh, to recognize that um, that that we are are caught in desire, that there is, that, and that we have a choice. Uh, um, and then to wait and to reflect on it, just to take some time, take a deep breath, first to recognize, take a deep breath, and um, reflect on it, to consider the consequences, and to practice gratitude for ourselves, and that we have a choice, and then um, weighing all everything objectively to um, respond to it with wisdom. Great, thank you very much. So the last group, so then we're over here. Um, I think we talked about similar ideas. Um, basically, a little, a little bit closer. Okay. Um, basically, um, compulsive desire has um, takes toll on our physical and emotional well-being, and without them, we have. A sense of space, spacious, space, spaciousness in in ourself, which creates peace and joy. Um, and also, we want to recognize um, desire is impermanent; it will change over time, um, and that we can try when we are we get caught in in that moment. We can try to focus on um, being grateful and appreciate what we already have and cultivate joy out of that mm. um, and I think, I think that's it well it was great yeah. <clears throat> it's all great thank you very much and I liked it that you ended with what you uh, talking about the joy and the peace that comes with not having it and uh, appreciating that because that's one thing I'd like to underscore is a tr- tremendous value of, um, of realizing no, realizing not just knowing but realizing that there is something better than a greedy mind state that, uh, <clears throat> and that uh, to really have an experiential sense of the joy or the peace or a sense of well-being that can come with the absence of this greedy, driven kind of mind state. And to just really know, be convinced, this is, you know, this, this is better for me. This joy, this peace is really a nicer, warmer, and more nurturing state to be in. If you really know that, then it takes some of the authority away from the greed. You know, it's less likely to be seduced by it or think it's, you know, it's, the, it's so, so important. And to, and to have an alternative that you can go to, to know there's some place you can go. Because if you don't have an alternative, a good place to go, then the greed is like the best game in town. You know, it have at least the prom- most promising one. Um, <laughs> but if you really know there's an alternative, and I think that's one of the possibilities with meditation practice, is to uh, cultivate a very nourishing sense of well-being that uh, nourishes us in a way that maybe almost nothing else nourishes us, perhaps. It doesn't nourish us like, you know, something like winning the lottery or getting a, you know, fast car or I don't know what. And, um, and, then, and to know, knowing that, then that becomes a, a, a counterbalance to the authority of the greed. And I have to have it now. Because you know there's another way, another way. Any last thoughts on this topic? Yes, Marcy. Positive action 
that we can take as opposed to negatively combating the, the greedy mind state. And it reminded me, it's the same kind of approach that James Barrett's uses uh -huh. in his Awakening Joy Code. So cultivating and recognizing the peaceful, spacious mind state so that it's there for you when you need it. Great, beautiful. Well said. Experiencing joy and happiness when you're not having this, this desire, um, I think it's helpful just to dwell in it and let it stick with you a little bit so you know how it tastes, savor it more. Then you know when something bad happens, you can go back to that state. Yeah. You have a choice. Maybe just, just taking a few breaths, mm -hmm. you're just coming to home, coming yeah. to yourself. Beautiful. So very nice. And if you can't get back to it, <clears throat> at least knowing that that's there not so far away or knowing it's in that, you know, in the human experience can just be encouraging, very encour very helpful. Okay. Thank you for the morning and for all this. I appreciate it a lot. So we'll take an hour for lunch. It's now 12.15, so we'll start again at 1.15 in here. So those, if you're new here... Um, people who know what to do will set up tables uh, in the outer hall and chairs and, and uh, you can use a microwave we have a refrigerator and the tea you can use um, make and uh, you can also take the chairs outside if you want to sit outside but it's probably wet and uh, if you don't have a lunch uh, um, there is a, uh, a couple of delis just close by I mean both Safeway and Whole Foods which are just south of here on El Camino they're across the way from each other both have delis um, see you at one fifteen.